0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of Believe in Guardians. Uh, joined with me this week is Daniel Port, who luckily is a, a fellow Clevelander and another writer for List. I tend to have those on lately. Last week we had Crystal. This week we have Daniel. Um, so th- yeah, Daniel, thanks for coming on.
1: Oh, and th- thanks for having me on. Uh, following Crystal's a, a tough act to follow, but I'll, I'll do the best I can.
0: It's all right. Crystal, yeah, she is a great guest. I've been on her podcast, too. She's, she's pretty great, but I'm sure you'll you'll do just fine. Because we don't have to talk about the White Sox, right? We could yeah, keep it just about, just about Cleveland. We don't have to talk about any other team. Um, but, yeah, we're coming off of the trade deadline, and it seems like um, on Twitter that the results are polarizing at best, if you ask me, um, trading away our – Best starting pitcher currently, we know Shane Bieber, um has kind of defaulted and gotten hurt. He's on the injured list right now, but trading him away, we were able to trade away Josh Bell as well. Uh, it started last week with the trade of Ahmed Rosario. I know a lot of people were happy with that. I'm a little bit indifferent. I could get into that later if you'd like, but mm-hmm. let me just kind of get your thoughts on the trade deadline and whether or not you kind of agree with the decision and the direction that the team is going in so far.
1: I think... Uh... To look at the deadline kind of in a move, I feel like you have to look at these this year and the year before a little bit as a a package in that I think if you're being real with yourself as a fan, the team greatly overachieved last year and ended up way ahead of the schedule. Certain things, you know, whether it's Jimenez breaking out and Quan breaking out, I think a lot of these guys kind of we're seeing sort of what happens with young players. It's a little bit of an up and down process. It's not linear. Uh, in terms of their growth and, you know, progression as players. And I think we're seeing this year, the team they kind of expected last year. Right. And I think they looked around and saw, you know, the league itself and said, yeah, we might be able to win the division, but I think they looked at some of the teams that, uh, you know, we saw us just in this series with Houston. They're not, they're not on that level quite yet. And so I think they realized that with all these young players coming up, uh, that. Either, you know, in the case of, you know, someone like Savale, I think it was about getting the most value uh, they could to help next year. Um, but I also think that they looked and said, you know, you look at some of the young players who were kind of being not re- relegated to smaller roles than they could. You couldn't really figure out what they were capable of and whether or not they need to be a part of next year or this year. And they were kind of caught in between there. So I think. I think this deadline was a lot more about trying to set themselves up to know what's the plan for 2024. Uh, And if I think that looking at those as a whole, because, you know, it's like moving uh, Rosario is a good example of that was the only way we're going to get to see what Arias was capable of. Right. And we have to solve what Arias is capable of before we can kind of solve what Rokia was capable of, Uh, you know, and down and on down the line, you know, it's not like quite the pitching where the injuries kind of pushed the envelope where, like, they kind of had free rein to see what uh, Bybee and Allen and you know Williams were capable of, um, and so I think a lot of the moves were about that, and then, the, then necessarily trying to either improve or, uh, not improve, I guess, or sell on this season, if that makes any sense.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I, I'm glad you brought up the whole uh, situation about last year because I've said it repeatedly over the course of this entire season that. I think last year's success kind of set everybody up for failure for this year because they overachieved and, and what you're seeing this year, just like you said, probably should have happened last year and then you know go from that but um yeah with with how everything is going on, uh, I kind of want to ask you, do you think that the team quote unquote punted on the season Because um, I've been hearing a lot of that um on social media lately, and while some people don't think they did, I think it's kind of hard to argue against that, especially when you have uh, Zach Meisel, who wrote his uh, recent article for the Athletic, I think it came out today, literally saying that the team is look, the front office is looking forward to next year, and I think you kind of have to agree with that with the moves that they made because nobody that they got in return is going to help you this season.
1: I, I absolutely agree with all of that, and I do think yes, I do think they punted on the season. I think the Guardians front office is often—I know this is how they approach the playoffs, but I think it's also how, um, in general, I think that they approach. Kind of everything in terms of team building is saying certain parts of baseball because it is it, it, uh, it's one of the few sports that is uh, affected by by luck and, and and things going your way more than I think any other sport and you know I think of you look at last year when we talk about them overachieving how many of their games they won by like one run or last inning comebacks or all those things that can go either way right and I think you know I kind of think of it this way well I do think they punted on the season I think of it like. um so uh, this past year, I learned uh, I have a big yard and a garden, in it, and I planted a, a tree, like a like a peach tree in it, right? And the funny thing is you, you'd think you'd just let it grow and let it grow and grow and grow and grow. But there's actually, like, if you really want to, to grow right, you have to start trimming it back and then giving it room to grow. And I think that's kind of what they did in this season, because otherwise you end up with too many, uh, I guess the, the theory is that you have too many branches and too many things like competing for sun and food and all these things, and that doesn't grow right. I think that's kind of what the team did here was just kind of trimming itself down to give that team room to to answer some of the questions that it had. Um, and I do think it looked at the, you know, cause I think I heard them on the broadcast today say they have the toughest schedule in the league left uh, compared to like, based on the winning records of the player teams they had to face. And I think they looked at that and said, we're already out. If by some chance we get hot and we win the division, I mean, they're only two games out. That's great. But I think they looked and said, we have to, you know, if we're going to go in the offseason and actually make the moves and the progress that they need to, you know, uh, we need to figure out some of these things. Like about Arias, about Tyler Freeman, you know, about Rokio. They need to get ready to figure out, you know, can it be Gonzalez or Brennan in right field or can Brennan handle center field? You know, I think they, these are all questions they have to answer to figure out how they're going to build next year's team. You know, so I, I do think they did punt. Yes. But I think it's with intent. I think sometimes you punt just to blow it all up. And I kind of like what the Mets are doing. Uh, you know, right? They just kind of go, that didn't work. And they're just going to kind of blow it up and they'll try again next year. And I think this is more punting on the season with intent, if that makes sense.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, it definitely makes sense. And I kind of went on a rant with a friend of mine earlier um about how people were I'm a very optimistic person and Mm it just seems like a lot of people, you know, social media just just going on and on about how the team is. And I certainly can get that, but I think for me personally, um, I I think I realized what the team was early on and I was okay uh, to live with whatever results, the results were going to be so far this season. And so far that's I've expected that we're an average team that's hovering around 500. um, And that's just kind of what you get. But um, yeah, with the moves that we've seen um, punting on the season, I think is, I think it's fair to say that. And I think people should, kind of come to that conclusion and yes it'll set us up for next year but it's okay that this season may not go the way you expect it but I do want to ask you with the because the division is so bad and the fact that we are uh still within well within reach to make the playoffs even though it'd have to be by winning the division um do you think that obviously we could still win the division uh even though for me personally I don't know if I wouldn't want to see us make the division just to us, just for us to kind of, you know, get swept in the wildcard round or whatever the case may be. But just kind of want to get your thoughts on that.
1: Yeah, no, uh, that's a great question. So I feel like the one caveat I'll give as a sports fan is that because you know, I'm also pretty positive. I, you know, cause I think you look at the season I know a lot of people will act like it's pretty disappointing. And it's like, oh, we found out a lot of great information. Josh Naylor looks like the real deal. Looks like we're going to see him in the heart of our lineup for the next six, seven years. Uh, you know, we saw Baby Allen Williams; those guys can all—they're they're all the real deal too. And then you throw in that we haven't even seen Espino; we haven't seen—we still got Tio. It, we McKenzie was hurt all year. Um, you know, I mean, I think that there's a lot of reasons for pulling positivity out of out of out of this year. And then I think when you talk about, um, you know. I'm kind of a journey over the end result kind of guy. Um, I always think of there's so many people who like will swear off, say 2016, be like, oh, well, that was just a whole waste of year. We didn't even win the championship. And maybe maybe the good vibes coming off of, you know, the cabs and everything, uh, you know, but uh, I looked and was like, that was one of the craziest seasons of my life as a fan. You can't take away my high notes with the end result. And so if they make a run, they win the division. Yeah, they'll probably get I don't see them getting past like the first round or so. But like still, that means they went on a heck of a run, you know, to finish the season. So I'm kind of, you know, I'll enjoy that if they do. Um, It's not like basketball where it's like you make the playoffs and it's kind of like, oh, that really screws us in the draft or, you know, things like that. So, I mean, it it would be nice to see them do it. But, uh, you know, I'm not going to judge the season either way based on how they do with that.
0: Yeah, so with the way the you know roster is right now after the trade deadline, we're set until the end of the season. Um, we're coming off of a sweep with Houston. We got no hit last night. Um, there were reports about how the demeanor in the clubhouse isn't at its high right now. Um, so what's your thoughts on that? Because uh, I've seen a lot of people say, you know, well, the players kind of brought it amongst themselves. You know, they're the ones out there playing. Uh, you can't play, you know, with your mind in the clouds, whatever, whatever. Um, but what do you think about that? Because Houston is a very good team. Don't don't get me wrong. And it's one of those teams where, like, you kind of want to be because that'll kind of be like the litmus test for the future. But like we were just saying, this team isn't very good.
1: Yeah. And you know, and I think when you look at demeanor, especially and, and and whatnot, one if I have one criticism of the front office over probably the last six years or so, the one criticism I do have is that they do make these big moves where they're trading sort of pieces that are performing well for and this year was unusual because it's usually one for one trades where usually they do like we're bringing in like six things or, you know, four players. And I feel like it is a lot to put on a, on a player, you know, when they kind of are making the clear indication that they're kicking the can down the road for you to kind of still stay engaged as a player. Like that, that, that is hard, you know, because you start asking questions of like, do you have the same Do you not have faith in us? Do you not feel like we can make that push? Why, you know, go get us the pieces so we can make a push. I think that's always the mentality a player has. So I think they tend to do this. I think you'd see these, like, after every trade deadline, like a little swoon over the years from the Guardians as they trade, you know, Clevenger that they traded, you know, Bauer that they traded, like, you know, and don't get me wrong, those are actually the right moves to make, you know, ostensibly looking back with hindsight. But I think as a player, you know, uh, I think we used to kind of see this in, like, Lindor and stuff a lot and their demeanor would kind of be like yeah, we could have been more, you know? So I totally get it from a player perspective that I don't think that's not always, always the right way to go.
0: Uh, and, and setting up the next question, it, it seems like um, the, the, the vibe is that depending on who's in the lineup, there's been so many tweets about who's in the lineup so many times a day. Uh, and it just seems like whoever that, that one person or that, those two people, could be in the lineup, and that changes everything. And I just don't feel that way. So, as we sit now, what do you make of the team over the next two months? Now that it seems like you're going to get that extended look at Gonzalez and and Brendan mm-hmm. probably paying more center field and Arias and Freeman up, and even now Rokio uh, is up right now because Freeman went down with an injury. But what do you make of the team now? Because we are the youngest team by average age now, mm-hmm. um and like we're saying, we're just not a very good team. So, what do you kind of see out of this team and the push that hopefully they'll make over the next two months?
1: You know, I I I see a lot of talent on the team, and I see uh you know, and I'll say this: I don't think they're a bad team. Like I think they're not a great team, if that makes sense. They're pretty right in the middle of the road. Um, there's, I think, you know, you look at say, especially the emergence of having Naylor playing so well, um, that you look at and go, okay, that's a piece. And I think that's kind of the way they think that they need to be thinking right now. It goes, okay, so you got Ramirez, you got Naylor, and how you know, you know, Quan's the leadoff guy. How do you fill in? Those are like your three set in stone, sort of. And uh, Jimenez, probably at the number two spot. uh, You wouldn't take him off of second, uh, you know, or anything like that. So you've got your four core guys there. I think when I look at the talent that's out there still, I think it starts to go, it starts to get answered by how the other roles uh, fill in and how these other players perform. Because, like, you look at, say, you know, Miles Straw is a great example. The only way Miles Straws is acceptable, I mean, he's an incredible center fielder. He's great out there. The only way you can have him out there is if he's the eighth or ninth best hitter on your team, right? And right now, he's not necessarily that. So they need too much out of him, you know? And I I think of that with looking at Freeman and and Arias, it's the same thing. I can take Arias' defense as long as we're not asking him right now to be the sixth best hitter on the team, you know? And I think that's the hard part. So I feel like right now this Grouping of Arias Freeman, you know, even um, if you throw Straw in there, or you throw, um, you know, uh, Rokio is kind of asking. They're going to figure out those guys who fills in, uh, almost like they're looking to see who can f- jump in that sixth spot, you know, sixth to seventh role in the lineup, and then they'll because f- they, they, then they can take Arias's defense, you know, and, and not to worry about his bat. Um, and looking at them individually. I think that's kind of how I see Arius is that like, it's nice to see that he could play first base a little bit. They put him in the outfield. Um, I, I That's kind of where I see Arias and Freeman being is these sort of like utility Jack of all trades that we'll just kind of throw all over the diamond, you know, and see what they can do. And I mean, to be fair, you never know with Arias. That's what we were saying about Ramirez a little bit when he first came up. So, you know, I mean, I think uh, that's where I see them. Rokio, I see lots of hope for, because, uh, you know, his bat was so good in triple A. He's got all the sort of skill sets they love. um, And I really see it's kind of like in that Lindor, Michael Brantley, Jose Ramirez kind of clone that they're, I think they're looking to build. I just don't know where he plays, if that makes sense. So, like, I think there's a lot of those answers to see maybe he's the DH for now, or, you know, can he play shortstop? Uh, So, I think those are kind of the questions you're looking to answer. But that's kind of where I see it is I think if you look at me and ask me next year, I think you see. Rocchio hitting somewhere in the sixth or seventh hole uh, and getting that together. And then Arius and Freeman battling it out to be like kind of those super util kind of, you know, uh, probably plays every day. We play somewhere different every day kind of roles. And then we'll kind of see how the outfield falls out. Cause like, I, I don't see the future of Oscar Gonzalez or, you know, even necessarily will Brennan, it all depends on kind of what we get out of George Valera. Right. So it's kind of, there's a lot of questions there, but that's kind of where I see our talent. Is right now, that's all of them battling for who's going to be the back end of our lineup. And once we start getting, you know, Manzardo and Valera and some of these other power bats that we're trying to build, they'll slot in in front of those guys, if that makes any sense.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was uh, actually just going to ask you, um, how do you see the middle infield kind of working out next year? And you, I guess you just kind of answered it there. But, um, you know, if you were coming out of spring training next year, who do you think, I guess, would we'll kind of win that battle, especially at short, since that's kind of one of the most, well, not kind of, it is one of the most important positions on defense. But who do you kind of see taking the mantle there, um, given that Jimenez is probably still be at second base?
1: My guess is if they choose to leave Jimenez at second. Um, I think it's going to be Rokio. Um, what I wouldn't be shocked is I think if we we're still living in a pre you know shift band world, I think that's exactly what you would see because that's what they used to do with Rosario is they would bump him in his way over by second base. They would bump Jose you know all the way over to where he was practically a shortstop, and they just say eh, we're gonna we got your you we'll cover for your defense there. But now I know one of the things that came out after the trade of Rosario was that uh he, they just felt he couldn't defend well enough in a post shift ban era and so i have a feeling if if i really had to like put my bet on it if rocchio hits i think they'll shift him over i think he'll end up at shortstop mm. um and then then they'll put uh freeman at second and then rocchio at second base that would be my mm. guess but uh it's hard to move a goal glover you know in that sense yeah yeah so it will depend it's rocchio- kind
0: of it's hard to argue against moving him when he's, like you said, want to go glove at the position he's already playing. Right.
1: And so that would be my suspicion because they value defense over there so much. Um, but I could also see, you know, if Rokio can just be at least an average shortstop or higher, I think it's, it's his, his shot to win. But I think they're going to see for Arias because then there's the trade-off of when they're seeing if Arias can, because then we know he can defend the position, right? They're seeing if he can hit. Um, if he can manage to hit well enough because we saw how many times Rosario's defense hurt our pitchers and and, and, you know if the pitching is going to be what they build this team off of they're really going to value defense that's why we've got straw out there that's why we've got some of the the defenders we do out there um, who aren't hitting but if I had to take my guess I think think they'll probably I think it would make sense to me to move Jimenez over and put Rogio at second but again if he can hold his own and shorts up then they'll probably just leave it
0: how it is Mm -hmm. Yeah, really quickly before we move on, I kind of want to get your thoughts on the outfield as well, Um, because you mentioned Oscar Gonzalez, and as you were talking about him, for some reason, uh, Jorge Soler popped into my head, and I feel like that's kind of like a a decent comp for him. Mm -hmm. Um, Just kind of like that big, tall, strong outfielder who probably doesn't have the best defense, but you definitely have has more value at the plate. Granted, if he can get his swing together and not chase at everything. um, Right. But you know, I, for you know, that's just the comp that I came up with. And then, um, with Arius's defensive versatility, you know, being in the outfield more, um, first base, I guess that kind of opens up for right field to have kind of that that battle, so that you don't have to stick him out there every day. Mm-hmm.
1: My sneaking suspicion, for the record, is that if he can manage to get healthy, like and really kind of show that he's healthy all season, I have a feeling we'll see Naylor quite a bit out there as well in right field do you? okay yeah um, yeah i was gonna pretty-
0: ask you that too because with, yeah. with the trade of manzardo it's like I, I get especially you know before the bell trade i get that you know he's not gonna be up here but granted you know he comes up and Bell's still here whatever next year now you have three guys that are playing first base it doesn't make sense to have three guys and two of them for sure i, I don't see going to the outfield but it's interesting that you say you do see any going out there because i don't and and i don't think that um, not to say that he can't play, but I think that for me, I see them more airing on the side of caution and just keeping him at first base or, you know, having that platoon at DH on the day off. Um, like I said, I don't, I, it's not that he can't play out there. I right. just don't really see it for me.
1: I don't see him. necessarily as a full-time right fielder. I, I think that's a lot for a guy. His, his, and saying it like his size sounds like I'm talking about like Cessna yeah. fielder or something, um, which I'm not, but like, uh, I know that they had talked about it at the beginning of the season that he'd play some some outfield and then he kind of came back a little hobbled in the with his ankle still and they're like we're not even gonna touch it right now he's it's hard because he's actually been pretty darn good at first base uh he's exactly um but you're absolutely right that like as far as i understand it from reading the scouting reports manzardo is a is a first baseman and that's it right so i wouldn't be shocked if there's some almost like kind of the rotation we saw this year where it's like Naylor plays him first, then sometimes he DHs, and sometimes Monsardo does first and DHs. And then, you know, I wouldn't be shocked if at some point he rotates and gets the occasional game out in right field. In terms of, and this is something I haven't quite, if you're asking me something, I don't quite get the way the front office is approaching it is, I get that they are it's almost like they're kind of just trying to buy some time uh, with right field, because like, at some point you have to assume that Valera is the future there, uh, and that's their plan, unless they trade him for something bigger. Uh, that, you know, it's kind of like, i almost like, I don't believe the house, but like, it doesn't matter if Oscar Gonzalez, you know, blows up other than you could move him for something. Um, you know, but my hard part with Oscar Gonzalez is his pitch selection. I think of a lot of, he makes great contact. He's got incredible bat to ball skills. Um, but I think even you saw it today, I was watching the game and he got like a bunch of base hits. And I think he can spin and poke balls and, you know, slap them in holes to get singles and stuff like that. But he doesn't hit the ball in the air uh, quite enough. He needs like its launch angle to come way up for how hard he hits the ball. And that's all about picking the pitches he can drive. Right. And, you know, I think until he figures out sort of honestly, the the, the analogy I was thinking of, I mean, it's not as yoked as him, but it's kind of Yandi Diaz uh, is who he reminds me a lot of in, in that way that the biggest thing we said for years about Yandi was he's got to get his launch angle up. He's got to start hitting the ball in the air. Um, and a lot of it was, and Yandi had much better, uh, you know, pitch selection and vision in a, to a certain degree, but he, uh, there were times where I'd look and be like, he's not picking the balls to drive. Uh, and we've seen that with a couple of different years. I think Jake Bowers had the same problem uh, for a long, long time. Um, and that's kind of where I feel, I worry about with Oscar Gonzalez is that like the, the the leaps going to come when he starts saying when I get, you know, it's not about just hitting the ball in the, but like knowing how to, you know, either foul a ball off that you can't do anything with, or, you know, when to take a certain pitch, because you can't, it's not even, even if it's a strike, but it's a pitch you can't do something with, you know, I think once he gets, that's the development he needs is when he sees the ball, he can crush. He pulls the trigger. Um, But I'm not as as high at seeing kind of where he's gone on him with him this year. I love Brennan. I just need to see kind of, I think we'll know more about him next year. Um, if nothing else, I think he can handle center field if we decide to move on from straw. Um, I don't know. You know, I think that's kind of, I think it's all just kind of waiting to see what we can do getting Valera ready. Really?
0: Yeah. Uh, really quick on Gonzalez. This is the part of the episode where I like to shamelessly plug things that I've done in the past. Yeah. Um, but before the season, I wrote for Pitcher List, um, mm-hmm. I'm paraphrasing, um, the Guardians will go as Oscar Gonzalez goes, pretty much. Now, I didn't anticipate him being down in the minors for two and a half, three months or so. But to the point where, you know, we talk about his contact, um, mm-hmm. I wrote, if he can get his contact, well, his contact is great. Not his contact, his pitch selection uh, in in order. Um, that'll kind of unlock other abilities for him at the plate. And like we were talking about that, that big strong outfielder kind of type, that big bat in the middle of the lineup kind of reminds me about frame my uh, just from just a couple years ago, somebody who had one good season with the team. And then, you know, he couldn't lay off the slider and everything else just fell apart because he was offering at everything. Mm-hmm. And then now you're disappointed at what you have this high potential for this potentially 40 homer guy was, you know, now he's not with the team. And I think he might even be a free agent, but um, that's kind of the comp that I had at the beginning of the season. Like I said, I didn't anticipate him being down on the minors, but I guess we'll see for next year. I don't know.
1: Yeah. And I, I think the interesting thing about cause with me for Framil, uh, it seemed like, and especially when you talk about something like that slider, right. And there's some idea that, you know, cause he couldn't hit that slider down in a way to save his life yet. He swung at it every single time. And there may be some trade-offs. Of, I often wonder if it was just because he's too big. You know, he's so tall that that, that pitch looks differently than it's we're used hard to. to get to. Yeah. But then I also wonder, you know, I mean, the way the team moved on from him seemed to imply a certain part that they felt he was not. I know everyone made a big deal about it, like his weight, size, but like I think a lot of it was it didn't seem like he was putting in the work, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and I think you take someone like, and to go to, say again, Josh Naylor, as uh, a good example of... You know, Naylor had a weakness against lefties. And from what I understand, he just took the entire offseason and was like, that's my focus, right? As he was coming back and rehabbing his injury was just, you know, trying to say, How do I how do I learn how to hit lefties? And it's why they love Josh Naylor. He's actually hit lefties pretty well this year. I think it'll be interesting to see, you know, I'm not in that clubhouse. I'm not in that that front office seeing how they're working with with Gonzalez. Um, but I agree that it's a player with a certain uh, a certain weakness, so to say, and it'll be an interesting question as to like, can he become a usable player with a weakness? I think of, uh, uh, gosh, I'm trying to think of the outfielder we had a couple years ago. Um, uh, not Lonnie Chisenhall, but the other uh outfielder because I was alone because he he hit, he hit uh, the, the inside the Le-Ban? park run, huh?
0: Oh, um, uh, he played for Cincinnati. I know who you're yeah, talking uh-huh. about.
1: And and I'll think of it here in a second, but I always think of like he had the example of he couldn't hit a high fast. Tyler fastball. Naquin? Yes, Tyler Naquin, exactly. There we go. He couldn't hit a high half fastball to save his life, right? Like yeah. you'd see entire at-bats where pitchers would just be like, cool, I'm just gonna throw nothing but high fastballs. And the team found a use for him because there were situations where he was good, especially if you know his facing pitcher didn't have that. But um I think that might be for me, I think with Oscar Gonzalez, that's where I, I sort of see him moving in a direction of them saying, okay, what are your strengths and is there then a way we can minimize some of your some of your weaknesses, you know, if that makes any sense. Um, I like him. I love him as I think he's a great player. I think he plays hard. I think he works hard. I think all of those things. Um, like you said, and sometimes stuff like pitch selections is the kind of thing that that can just click. You know, right? Like that's just experience and age. Uh, and so hopefully I'd love to see it.
0: Yeah. Um, reeling it back into this year, uh, mm-hmm. the disappointment that this season has been. Um, speaking about the trade deadline, would you rather them had stay put with the, the pieces that they had and make a run for the division and potentially will, win uh, uh, the first playoff series or not? Um, or are you okay with kind of where the, the roster is now and moving on to next season?
1: I think, uh, obviously as a fan, I always want them to go for it, right? I want them to start, I wanted them shoving you know chips in the, the you know in the middle and trade for the like otani you know right like that's as a fan what i always want i always them to be going for it um but i do think for the long-term health of the team and for the long-term health of frankly my sanity uh not that we have to we'll probably have to be spending too much more time on, on twitter or x or whatever it is now uh but um but having to hear, I think you mentioned it. There's like every day it was just everyone tweeting about the lineups and like it like it really kind of wore on me over the season. Um, that like that's been less fun than the, the, the team has been fine. They've been fun. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think that there's a place where uh, th- again, and I think I've said it a couple of times, but they were just they had to answer some of these questions because you can only keep Brian R- 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 Rocchio down in the minors for so long. You can only keep you know, Gavin Williams and, and Logan Allen and then the down, like, and so when it comes to like, say moving Savale I looked and said, once Bieber got hurt, I should say, I think I knew that's when they were going to move Savalle because it was like, uh, if you have Bieber coming back next year, if you have McKenzie coming back next year, what the, and you had Savalle coming back, one of Allen Williams or, uh, or, uh, or by were we're going to be back down in the minors or in the bullpen and that that's just not a, like, I think the, the, the sustainable way to have done that. And so I think they saw an avenue of moving Savale for getting bats. And I know some people would go the opposite way. They should have moved the young guys to get a big bat, but that's just not how that team, the team operates. So I think, I think as a fan, I want them to go for it. I think as a, as a person who looks, tries to look at things analytically and, you know, with an eye to the future, I think this was the right move and I think this was the right way to, to approach it Um. by saying that, that these, if we're going to grow, if we're going to become a team that, that starts winning in the same way, I think they said at the beginning of the year that like, we're going to go as say, uh, like when you're saying about Oscar Gonzalez or, you know, I think they did say like, we're going to grow as Josh Naylor grows and as Andres Jimenez grows. And, you know, I think they were going down the line of, and I think now it is the, the, the big free agent signing is, Brian Rocchio getting a full year, you know, or, you know, those sort of things. So I think they had to do it. And I think getting Manzardo, frankly, is, a, is about as good as they were going to do. I, I like that a lot.
0: Yeah. Speaking of Manzardo, um, I think that the universal consensus is that he will be up here next year. But how soon uh, do you kind of expect to have him in a Cleveland uniform and what his role will be, um, whether or not he's the everyday starter at first or whether he'll, whether he'll start out at DH?
1: You know, so I think um, if I were to take a look at it as the roster sits today, my guess is going to be that, um, because I think we'll probably see him, depending on his shoulder, because he's injured right now. And they said he'd probably be a couple of weeks. And I think the Guardians are going to take that time to really evaluate him, get to know him, you know, and stuff like that. I I have a feeling we'll at the very least see him in a Cleveland uniform at at September columns would be my guess. Um, Now, will he play? I don't know. I have a feeling, it, you know, if they're out of it, yeah, probably he'll see some at-bats, but I wouldn't be shocked if they do what they did with Bo Naylor last year, where Bo came up with the September call-ups and then never played. They just wanted him to get used to the majors, to get the coaches familiar with him, and all, you know, really let him kind of... It's funny, the the Guardians are very aggressive with promotions, but then once they promote you, they kind of handle you with kid gloves a little bit, you know, so it's a lot of You know, they didn't want Naylor to get starstruck on an opening day, you know, or things that they're like, come on up, you'll get a month to get situated, get the clubhouse, get everyone to know you, you know, throw bullpens with our pitchers, you know, do all of those sort of things. And I feel like I I wouldn't be shocked if they don't do the same thing with uh, with Mazzardo Uh, this year, if he's healthy. Do I think he's the starting first baseman uh, next year? I do. Um, I, you know, whether it's because. Naylor's then moving out in right field and DHing because, like, the hard part's going to be again that question of the infield is, is going to be how that breaks out. Is that I think if Arius hits, right, there'll be an interesting question because of what do you do with Rokio, right? So, I you know, I have a feeling that they're going to leave that DH spot open to fill whatever they need, right? So, if, if Rokio ends up making it, you know, a good enough impression, you know, I know he had two hits today, but so did uh, Arius, um, and Arias had that great double, um, that. You know, if Arias shows its shortstop and hits well enough, then Roki is the DH, probably, right? And so, uh, or some m- amalgam of that. You know, I, the, I think the Guardians are kind of a team that doesn't like a permanent DH half the time. They like to rotate in people, get people rest. Um, so I have, uh, I think he'll be opening day starter. Menzardo um, will be, um, but. You know, I think it will. some will depend on the answers that we find throughout the rest of this season in terms of the rest of the infield, too.
0: Got it. I want to get your take really quickly on Terry Francona. Um, Like we talk about everything on Twitter. um, I think it's ridiculous, but people think that he should be fired. Uh, Whatever the case may be, we don't know if it'll be his last year. He could retire on his own. We don't know. Uh, But what are your kind of take on, on Terry Francona and the job that he's done? Uh, so far this season because we know what he's done in the past and he's been right. great, but what focus on this season, how do you think he's done? I think he's done fine. I think he's done great.
1: Uh, I'd say let Terry Francona manage his team until he doesn't want to do it anymore. Yeah, um, the way, uh, and this is true of all managers, I don't pick a manager, it does not matter. They've all got their strengths and their weaknesses, right? Um, you know, I think of uh, you take like a Kevin Cash over at the race, right? Who can be sometimes two. Mired in the analytics right you can get a guy uh, you know you can think of like um you know uh you know take a like a, a bud black over in in colorado seemingly can't work with like young players and really you know is just the exact opposite of that really seems to pay no attention to the analytics uh or you know thinking forward towards the game tito will do some things that you just kind of go that's tito my uh the one that i was uh, drives me crazy is leaving a a picture in for one inning too long. It it seems like something he perpetually does where he'll be like, "Ah, can I squeak that seventh inning out of that picture? And it always kind of implodes on them. Um, but with that being said, you can't argue, I think with then the strengths. I don't know if there's a better manager in the league at managing players at, uh, managing morale at, you know, teaching them how to play the game the right way. You know, I think of, um, One of my favorite stats from last year was about how the Guardians led the league by a long shot in uh, runners advancing from first to third on singles and early in, like, basically taking that extra base whenever they could. And that, from what I understand, is, like, that's all Tito. Like, that's all like he's like, we're going to play hard. We're going to run hard um you know he's got good coaches around him i love mike sarbaugh over at third it's like one of the most aggressive guys for sending runners like i love the, the 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 situation around him and the way he manages that team which in a lot of ways i think a lot of the analytics will tell you this that managers have a lot less impact on the like uh the game impacts you know so to say that than, than we think they do uh, again i think of kevin cash with the very famous where they pulled uh I think it was Blake Snell in the World Series. And then mm-hmm. the uh the relievers that came in for him imploded and they end up losing. And that, that's a move that could have worked and it could not have worked, right? Like that it, it, you know, his decision was less impactful than uh the players' performances around him, if that makes sense, right? So sometimes I think we do we we tend to overblow some of those decisions, you know. Um but I'm 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 very happy with the way Tito managed that team.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, Really quickly before we get out of here, um, it's upcoming weekend. We do have the White Sox in town for a three-game series. Um, Now, we split a four-game series with them last weekend. Now, you know, a team that is doing worse than we are, you would like to have won that series. But um, how do you see this weekend kind of playing out? Um, So far, only Logan Allen uh, is started or slated to start. So far, we don't know about Saturday and Sunday. Um, And the White Sox, they traded two of their starting pitchers. So that's two guys that we don't have to face. Uh, but how do you think this weekend turns out?
1: I mean, I, I think the, the, the Guardians are going to win most of those games. Um, I think, yes, they're a little, if you want to talk about it, a team that's probably demoralized, you know, I mean, I would imagine the White Sox are feeling lower than, than the Guardians are right now. Um, and, you know, I mean, obviously they moved, like you said, two of their starting pitchers. I don't even know who's going to be starting for them then. Um, it's a, it, it's always hard. I feel like the, a team like the Guardians, when it comes to hitting, is kind of all are they in a rhythm or are they not you know they're really streaky because they're so contact oriented um but i, I mean i think they'll do I, I think they should do fine um you know the pitching's still pitching well uh, heck they even got a good start of uh guard so if he's healthy depending on i don't know if we got word on his ankle yet but or shin or where we got the hit with the ball um yeah i think i think they should do well i think the pitching will do well um I mean, that lineup is not exactly scary anymore. because I mean, they moved Berger, too, who was their biggest, you know, outside of Luis Robert, their best power hitter right now. Like, I feel like they got significantly worse, so we should definitely beat them
0: and do well. Yeah, I was looking at the um, schedule. Mike Clevenger is starting tomorrow, and then I think Michael Kopech on Saturday. But, um, yeah, other than that, it's it's kind of like a crapshoot over there. You know, yeah. they're just throwing stuff at the wall and hoping it sticks, but... Um, Yeah, just like we were saying, I was talking to Crystal last week. Um, She was talking about how how lowly fans are over there and how she's feeling and how their front office. I mean, you really want to talk about a front office that hasn't really done anything. You can talk about Chicago. Um, But yeah, um, I I don't know. I want to say it's sweet, but I feel like the Guardians have that one game that they should win and then they don't win. You know what I mean?
1: Uh, Yeah. I think it's one of those things that's hard sometimes, unless they get really hot, for them to get. To score runs with that current lineup, uh, four games in a row. I think there's always at mm-hmm. the least kind of like you're saying one one stinker in there where they're only going to put up a, a run or nothing, you know. And mm-hmm. hopefully that'll as they get you know progress and get better and you know, uh, you know, age and stuff like that. Um, that that won't be the case. But I think right now that's where that team is. Yeah. So, so yeah. I say three games. Well,
0: fingers crossed, right? Yeah. Right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but Daniel thank you for coming on uh before we get out of here yeah. um I mean I still call it twitter but if you know yeah. you can tell the people where to find you on twitter and and you know like we were saying you, you write for picture lists and mm-hmm. so you also have a podcast so yeah if you want to talk about that you know feel yeah. free go right ahead
1: absolutely and and before jumping on thank you so much for having me on this was a, a pleasure uh I'll come on and talk to our audience anytime you want uh so you can find me on uh on Twitter at daniel J. Port. Uh, uh, over there you know i I post over there a little bit uh talking about baseball i need to get back into it um you know talking about baseball occasionally you'll hear me talk about tennis because that's the other sport i really follow sometimes basketball um but then uh you you all. then i do my podcast and that's usually i'll post when i've got like stuff coming out for picture list but i also through pitcher list do uh a podcast called long ball legacies and what we do is every week it's uh, I come on it's a you know, usually about an hour episode or so uh, I pick a different player throughout baseball history and I kind of run you through the overview of their statistics and what they have put out. But then I kind of come in and try to tell their story and what they did through baseball and kind of break down all the years of their seasons and like what happened and, you know, kind of really start to place them in the history of baseball and, and how we tell the story of baseball. And then I have this big list that at the end of it we I, I rank the player based on my takes and usually like involves statistical output, cultural stuff, you know. So like it matters if you're say Ichiro and then might be one of the most important you know Asian players that come play in the in Major League Baseball, um, you know, or things like that that gets extra weight. Or if you do something negative, like uh, you know, I just did an episode on Barry Bonds and like that was weighted in there that even though he's probably I, I don't even know this is probably the best hitter to ever play in the, in the major leagues, he gets dinged for, for the other stuff, you know, and uh, it's, it's a fun podcast. I think this week we're doing uh, Ted Williams. We're going to talk about Ted Williams. Uh, And then that comes out every uh, usually Saturday mornings, but sometimes at some point on Saturday uh, every week. Um, But yeah, it's a, it's a fun, fun little podcast. So it's long ball legacies um, is the podcast. And that's through picture list.
0: Mm -hmm. All right. Yeah, guys, you heard it here. Uh, make sure you go follow Daniel on Twitter. Um, yeah, here's to hopefully a series win against the White Sox. Uh, for, for Daniel, this has been another episode of Leaving Guardians, and we'll catch you next week. Peace. Thanks so
1: much. Have a good one.
0: ahead of postage rate increases this year with stamps.com it's like your own personal post office sign up with promo code program for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale no long-term commitments or contracts That's stamps.com code program you know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks that's what our podcast people are the worst brings you with each episode i'm rachel